In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. So King Solomon tells us in Psalm 127. And I have to say that phrase, the bread of anxious toil, is really quite fantastic. It gets to the heart of everything. So in the biblical sense, there are two kinds of bread. You have what Jesus calls the bread of life. That is what he calls himself. You have this bread from heaven who feeds us with salvation by being broken for our sins upon the cross. And then you have what Jesus calls in the Lord's Prayer our epiousion bread, which is a Greek word essentially meaning above substance, but normally translated as daily bread. So that's the physical food that we need. It's everything that we need to support our body and life, as Martin Luther explains in the small catechism. But even though our daily bread is given to us by God, even though that very name, either daily or above substance, should give us comfort because it reflects the idea that God will provide it for us, very often the idea of our daily bread is not comforting at all. Rather, we view it the way that Solomon describes it as the bread of anxious toil, bread that we anxiously toil over because we don't have any certainty that it's going to be there tomorrow, bread that we break our backs trying to acquire through our anxiety and our trembling labor. So when we think about our daily bread, we should see it as bread of comfort, but instead, we think if we just worry enough and work hard enough, that's the way we can turn that bread of anxious toil into bread of comfort. Not something that God does, but something that we do through our anxiety and our sweat. We think we can turn this bread of anxious toil into the thing that's going to give us comfort by employing more anxiety and more toil. But of course... That never works. It's the strangest thing when you look at the amount of despair that people have in the world today. Certainly there are a number of things worthy of being grieved over, worthy of weeping over when you look at the world. But at the same time, especially in a daily bread kind of sense, it's rather odd. World poverty rates are by far the lowest they've ever been in human history. Same is true for world hunger rates. Today in our country, we have this bad thing that's an obesity epidemic, but it's an epidemic that is most prominent among our poorest citizens. In other words, the group of people who throughout the vast majority of history were most likely to starve to death. In our world today, you can make a good living owning a gym, which is a place where people pay you money so they can lift heavy things. That's the exact opposite of how that arrangement has worked throughout the vast majority of human history. Well, why is that a thing that even exists? Well, it exists because for so many people in the world, they don't actually come close to breaking a sweat when it comes to their daily labor. They actually probably pack on more calories sitting at a desk all day instead of burning calories, which is what people have done throughout most of history. So we've got to join gyms to make up the difference. 
So when it comes to physical exertion, our jobs are far easier than they ever have been. So right now in our world, we have far more bread than anybody else has ever had. We have far more food than anybody else has ever had. One of the most popular fad diets today uh, is the, the carnivore diet, which is where you eat only meat and eggs to kind of get your gut healthy or something of that nature. And if you're on the carnivore diet, there's about a 100% chance that on a single day, you will consume more meat than an ancient Greek citizen consumed in an entire year. It's rather strange. Why aren't we happy? We're surrounded with countless blessings. Why aren't we more at peace? Why aren't our churches filled to the rafters with people thanking and praising God for the daily bread that he's poured out upon us? Why is it that every day we sweep away a thousand reasons to rejoice in order to find something to despair over? It's because the bread of anxious toil is addictive. We think that we can turn that bread of anxious toil into the bread of comfort by filling ourselves with anxiety and toil, but it doesn't work. And the only thing that we actually succeed in doing is convincing ourselves that the way to lead our lives, the way to be good, holy people, is to be filled with anxiety when literal bread is no longer something that we need to worry about. So when we don't have to worry about our bread, our daily needs, we don't find peace. We just invent new things to be worried about. So we are sailing into a demographic nightmare of a storm because Americans, like so many of the, in the rest of the world, are having fewer children than ever. And when people don't have as many kids as they would like to have, the number one reason they'll give you for why is because they'll say, we can't afford them. So says the richest generation in human history. Others will tell you they don't want children because they can't imagine bringing children into this awful world. You know, this awful world that has the lowest rates of child mortality ever, where children are healthier, where children have greater access to knowledge and education, uh, and, and a whole host of other blessings that at any other point in human history, people will just ignore 10 billion points of data showing how wonderful our world is, how it's wealthier and cleaner and safer than at any other point in time, and they'll fixate on the one or two things that are perhaps genuinely worse. We think it's holier to have fear than to have children. It's a bizarre thing. You'll, you'll find this oftentimes the way this kind of breaks down on a political level is you find people who tilt towards the political left who will tell you they don't want to have kids because of climate change and their fears about the future of the world. And then you'll have people more so on the right who will tell you they don't want to have children because you can no longer support a family on one income like you could back in the 1950s. And yet, again, uh, countless forms, of, uh, forms and ways in which the world is infinitely cleaner than it's ever been before. And also, if you look at the rates of those things, Leave it to Beaver was television. It wasn't real life. And the percentage of Americans who were living on one income in one income households is not nearly as high as people like to think it was. The reality is, is that the percentage of Americans that own homes now is significantly higher than it was in the 1950s. It was much, much higher until the 2008 housing market pushed about 10% of people out of home ownership. 
So it's a strange thing where you have people who are completely divided in their ideology, and, but they're both feasting upon the same loaf of, loaf of bread of anxious toil. You've got one group feasting on the side, telling themselves that the world is far worse than it actually is, and you've got the people on the other side telling you that the world is not nearly as good as it never really was to begin with. So this is where we find ourselves, when we don't have to worry about if we're going to eat tomorrow, we don't stop worrying. We just worry about what we'll eat 50 years down the line. When we don't have to worry about corrupt leaders torching our crops, we don't stop worrying. We find reasons to tell ourselves that these are the worst leaders in the history of civilization and that the next election is, of course, the most important election in the history of elections since the very last election, all the while not even being able to realize the great and glorious blessing that even if the current or next whatever it is election is the most important election we've ever had, even if we are living under the most corrupt government that the United States has ever seen, the vast majority of citizens in the, in the history of the world would gladly change, trade us for what we have now to what they had then in some other part of the world uh, or at some other time. So we invent new things to tell ourselves. When we don't need to worry anymore that our children are going to grow up uneducated and fit for nothing but backbreaking work, which used to be a thing people had to worry about quite a bit, we don't stop worrying. We just invent new things for them, to, new things to worry about, telling ourselves that we will have failed them if they don't amass amazing athletic scholarships or academic scholarships, if they don't end up getting really great, fantastic, respectable jobs where they're making more money in the first five years of their working lives than we ever made in our entire lives. And we pursue this path so hard that we keep them out of church to make progress. We keep them away from the Lord who tells them what true comfort is. And in all of this, we ended up raising the most neurotic and anxious generation of kids that perhaps the world has ever seen. They grow up to be adults who worship money and who worship other people's views of them like we taught them to do and who are addicted to worry like we taught them to be. So here we are in this desolate place of worry that we invented. Here we are, unable to see the glorious gifts of God because we want to believe that we have nothing around us. We think it makes us holy and righteous to despair and to be filled with fear. Here we are with our teeth shattered on the rock-hard bread of anxious toil that we refused to stop eating. Look up. Look to Christ and receive him, the greater bread, the bread of life that will turn the bread of anxious toil into the bread of comfort. Throughout the Gospels, there are a number of times when Jesus is presented as the new Adam, the one who brings back what our first father lost in the fall into sin. This is certainly something we see in John's account of the resurrection, where Mary mistakes Jesus for being the gardener, although she doesn't really mistake him for that. He truly is. He's the one, the new Adam, who has come to bring back the garden of perfection and immortality that our first father lost. But we also see this quite clearly in our gospel reading for today, in Matthew's account of the feeding of the 5,000. So in Genesis chapter 3... 
We find Adam grieving over the death that he has brought into the world through his disobedience when God tells him what his curse is going to be. Once the earth gave its fruit over to him easily and without difficulty, but now the earth is going to be something that he has to beat into submission if he wants to, if he wants to survive. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Perfect garden, Adam had tra- has now, that perfect garden, Adam, has now transformed into a desolate place of sorrow, into a field, a barren field of anxious toil. But now, in our gospel text, we find Jesus in a similar, yet inverse position. Here, Jesus is grieving over death like Adam, but in his case, over the death of John the Baptist, the one who came armed to prepare the way of the Lord who is going to undo the curse, the one who is going to take out of this world the death that Adam brought into it. And here, Jesus is in a desolate place that highlights the severity of Adam's curse. But here, with his words and his merciful hands, Jesus takes five loaves and two fish, and simply by blessing them and breaking them, he feeds a crowd that any other man would have to labor himself to death in order to feed. And in all of this, Jesus is revealing who he is. He's the new Adam come to reverse the curse of Adam. He's the one who will take the anxiety and toil out of our bread by taking the sin out of our hearts. He's the one who has come to conquer death by being the bread of life. So here in this desolate place, look up and see the new Adam welcoming you back into the garden where anxiety and toil will never be welcomed. Look to the cross where the bread of life is broken by nails and thorns and and a spear and where he pours out the blood of salvation upon you. There in that moment, Christ destroyed your sins, all your idolatry and your anger that you birthed through your anxiety, all of your pointless despair, all of your doubt and blindness to God's promises. Jesus destroyed this all as the bread of his flesh was torn apart for you at Calvary. There in that moment, your Savior saw you in the desolate place of your own making. And there he invited you to come home, just as he invites you to feast upon him today. So come home. Come to the font. And there in those waters of salvation, Receive the wondrous mercy of the bread of life. Come drink the waters of salvation, the milk that was given to you when you were made a newborn child in those waters. Come to this altar, kneel and receive the very bread of life whose flesh was torn apart for you on the cross, whose blood was poured out upon you, covering you in the righteousness of God. 
that declares to you that you are no longer someone who lives in the valley of anxious toil, in the field of cursed bread, but you are his beloved child that he knows and loves and cares for and will feed in this life, even as he is now feeding you with the gift of salvation in Christ's body and blood. In the words of our Old Testament reading for today, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost, without price. So you who have no money, you who can't buy comfort with the money that you have, whether you're wealthy or poor, Come to the font and drink the waters of salvation. Come to the altar, receive the bread of life. Come buy that salvation, not with your own money, but with the currency of Christ's body and blood that he poured out upon you. Come eat and drink the salvation of God that God himself purchased for you. And when you do, rejoice in the knowledge that you do not need to view the bread that keeps you alive in this earthly life as the bread of anxious toil. It is indeed your above substance bread, your manna from heaven, your daily bread given to you from the hand of the Father who made you his precious son through the blood of Jesus Christ. So receive it in that way. Don't invent things to be anxious about. Instead, look to the bread of life and see how much bread of comfort now surrounds you. In times of plenty and in times of little, you still rest in the arms of the Savior who fed the 5,000 to show you that he will feed you with his love forever. In times when you have every reason to be anxious, if the world ever really becomes as bad as we pretend that it is, and in times when you have no reason to be anxious at all. Either way, don't be anxious. Don't search for the answer, don't search for comfort in the bread of anxious toil. Find the peace of God in the bread of life, in the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ who has filled you with good things and given you eternal peace in his wounds. Look to Christ your body and soul, he will faithfully feed forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.